But I mean, I just remember there was that year when the NHL, the National Hockey League, went on strike. When you think that year, that was such a big news. That's everyone was talking about it. People were making jokes on it on on late night talk shows, and people were thinking about it all the time. Oh my gosh, hockey's canceled! I do right now. NHL and NBA are both canceled at the same time, and nobody's talking about that. You know, people are people are more stressed out about the fact that schools canceled for three more weeks, uh, and they're like, even if hockey was on, I couldn't enjoy it because I'm with my kids all the time. It drives me crazy. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for an emergency episode of Medical Dads. Yeah, I would say, what are we talking about this week, Dave? But there's only one thing that anybody's talking about. Right. Everyone is talking about coronavirus today for the last week, two weeks now. And for the foreseeable future, I think our show is going to be about coronavirus. (laughs) May well be. Yeah. In general, Stu and I record the show weeks in advance. Like We have like a repository of old episodes that we put up from time to time. And we generally are like, what, three or four weeks behind? This week, we're going to try to get this out right away because the situation is changing so rapidly. And people want to know what's going on right now in the world. Nothing else is really relevant to anyone. That's right. Uh, It's very rare for any headline to squeeze through now in the news that isn't something related to coronavirus or COVID-19. We're going to try to catch on that wave and provide people with some hopefully useful information about the virus and at least talk about some of our experiences dealing with it from the viewpoint of physicians who are also stuck at home with our children all day, every day at this point. Yeah, we will at least help you kill time for, a, for an hour or so of your self-isolation. <laughs> there you go. Now, I don't know if I, I'm assuming people out there don't know this, but Stu has actually been working in a hospital where he's been called on to do some work on the front lines of coronavirus. So maybe you can fill us in a little bit about what that's been like. Uh, yeah, well, so in, in my city, in Ottawa, we set up a, uh, a testing station outside of the hospital so that people who, who think they may need to be tested for coronavirus, for coronavirus COVID-19, could come and get tested away from the hospital so that everybody doesn't show up at the hospital, potentially contaminating everybody and clogging up the system. Uh, so that just opened uh, like last Friday. So not Friday the 20th, but Friday the 13th, actually. A timely day. Uh, so yeah, they asked me to help out on that day. So I, I showed up to give a bit of physician oversight for the testing of pediatric patients. Mm-hmm. So physician oversight, does this mean that you were actually testing the patients yourself? Or are you like ensconced in a room behind a glass mirror? Uh, no, I'm not uh, sort of triple protected behind the titanium door. <laughs> they didn't have time to set that up before I got there. Uh, but it's the actual, it's actually the nurses who were the ones doing the test. So the mm. way the setup was for us was uh, patients uh, arrive there and then they're brought to a, like a large waiting area where they're sort of situated so they're not too close to each other. Then they get called up and registered into a computer and asked a few more screening questions. Then they see the nurse. Uh, and then the nurse tries to decide, okay, are you so sick looking right now that I just got to send you straight to hospital? Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're not, if you're looking well, then, you know, do you actually meet our criteria for testing? Uh, and then if you're sort of in between and the nurse is sort of not sure, like, okay, is this kid like well enough for us to proceed now? Or is this someone who should go home? Or if there's a bit of gray area for, does they meet the testing criteria? Then they would talk to me. So mm-hmm. if we actually determine that, yeah, you qualify for testing, then we would send you to a separate room where there was a nurse actually putting the swab in people's noses to do the test. Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm grateful for the people who are saying like, oh, we appreciate the work of physicians. Uh, uh, but of course, we can't forget that there's many other people involved in the in the front line of the healthcare field. Uh, and it's a lot of them who are taking some of the some of the biggest risks. So. So props to the nurses who are doing the swabbing at that clinic that day. 
Right. I take it back. You weren't really on the front lines at all. So let me remove that from your uh, credentials. I was certainly observing the front line. And I did I did have to get uh, up close with a couple of patients to, to interact with them. But uh, this, this week on Medical Dads, a live interview with someone who was on the back line of coronavirus. <laughs> That's right. So let's just dive right into this topic about the coronavirus and where we stand. Like we're recording the episode right now. It is Sunday night. March 22nd and I was on my way home last night from the grocery store like we've been like ensconced in our house under family isolation for about a week yeah. and I've our plan right now is to make a few grocery trips once in a while so and I pick up the groceries for everybody so there's no more like taking your four-year-old to the grocery store for laughs anymore <laughs> so even like I think last week by late last week I was already the first person, the only person in our local grocery store wearing a mask, right? Like, and then this went on a couple more times. So last night was like the third time I went to the store. Yeah. And there were more people wearing masks, but by and large, probably still a small percentage, like maybe 20% of people are wearing masks. Okay. I get out of the car on my driveway and happened to be pulling up into my house. And my neighbor's son is also there. He's a little older than I. Comes up to me. He's like, like, he knows I'm a physician. He's like, listen, I just want to ask you a question. How bad is this? Right. And I'm like looking at, it, I'm like, I got a lot of groceries in my hand. Like the milk is going to fall. Like, and I'm like, but my thing was like in the last few days I've been reading about it. I think it's going to get really, really bad. Like I I've been trying to like sit on the fence and be like, kind of you know stay calm level-headed like most people if they've known me from like working in the office i very rarely show like anxious emotions because it just doesn't help me in yeah. life and to show them you mean to show them they yeah. exist right and they, they they tend to come out at the worst possible moments like in key moments of like recreational basketball games like i'm very <laughs> prone to turning the ball over and things like that so really gotta like put on the poker face and stay calm yeah. but the last few days from what i've been reading and following about this virus and how like we're they're comparing like how the situation in canada is right now with how it was in italy or how it might turn into china like i'm getting very edgy about this thing like to be honest like i've been getting edgier and edgier about this and i don't see any evidence to the contrary, that this is going to work out fine, that this experiment of putting us all in our houses for two weeks, which uh, which a certain percentage of people are ignoring these recommendations and going on life as usual as much as they can. Yeah. Like, I just feel like this isn't going to work. And we're in for like a we're in for like the biggest disaster of like th since World War Two This is my feeling. And I don't really want to make it sound that dire, but I can't shake this feeling. So for those listeners who haven't locked themselves in the garage with the car engine on. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to uh, listen to the rest of the podcast <laughs> Stu will be doing the rest of the show on his own to try to repair our show <laughs> Dave has to take a little nap now <laughs> uh, so uh, okay I think people can afford to calm down a little bit and we need to clarify <laughs> some of the stuff that you're saying uh, so just to be clear for the listeners uh, are you saying that you don't think that social isolation could work and could help? Or do you mean that because people aren't following it, it's going to fail? I think there's a substantial number of people that aren't following it. And that yeah. will cause it to not work. Like, even on my street, there was a house party a couple nights ago. My wife and I like, we've been in our house all week. And suddenly we see like six cars parked on a, in, a, in front of a house on our street and a party going on because it's New Year's for some cultures here. I mean, that's not social isolation, ladies and gentlemen. Like I'm, I'm like looking at articles and people are asking me, like, is it OK for our children to go on a one on one play date? Like, can my child visit her best friend and right. play? And we're saying no. So how are other people having house parties? Like clearly, even if each vehicle only brought one person to that house, that's too many people. Yeah, somebody asked us, uh, actually more than one person asked us if if we're doing kid mingling during this like period of isolation, uh, which, you know, like, do we let our kids mingle with other kids for, for playdates? Right. And, you know, right. I think the logic people have in their mind is like, you know, because my kids are clean and your kids are clean so they can mingle. Right. Um, and I'm trying to say no, but if 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 my kid mingles with your kid, then it's like they're mingling with every kid your kids ever mingled with. <laughs> Hey, we got to practice safe mingling. <laughs> and 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 I and I take offense to this somewhat, this idea that my kid is clean. 
every parent knows that their own kid is the dirtiest human being they've ever been around, right? And if you have three children, they're three of the dirtiest human beings you've ever been around. Like, how is it suddenly that our kids are clean? We know that they're walking magnets for infections and viruses when they go to preschool. Ladies and gentlemen, they have a runny nose the entire year. We're, we're talking clean in the sense of, of not having coronavirus. <laughs> yes, to, yes. You know, if... if if people got coronavirus just being around children who were physically dirty, like we'd already be dead. Like there would be nobody left on the planet. But children are very well known to be very easy to pick up stuff, right? They That's have right. no sense of boundaries. They touch everything and they're very resilient and they don't really get major illnesses that often. Right. So we kind of yeah. get used to that. But this idea that let's just mingle like, so in answer to your question, yeah. I feel that social distancing could work if we all adhered to it very, very strictly right now. But yeah. like, and I'm not meaning to say that what we see online or on Twitter or on Facebook is all real, but even from what we've seen, like walking down the street today or going by the park when we drive by, there are people out doing stuff. Like, yeah. just let me, let me put another example. <laughs> my wife and I last night were driving because we're dropping something off at my parents' house uh -huh. and we pass by a Harvey's and there's a red light. So we're sitting there. We uh -huh. see a car pull up and a young man comes out of his car yeah. and walks into Harvey's. And my wife and I were, kid were joking like, okay, I guess, I guess restaurants are still open because they're still serving takeout, right? Because right. these people need to eat, I suppose, yeah. right? So guy walks into Harvey's. 30 seconds later, we see him walk out of the Harvey's, uh -huh. back into his truck, drive away. Right. So we're like, well, what was the point of that? He didn't even get food. So like this is actually like a real serious like medical emergency type situation. We have a dude who presumably goes into the Harvey's and says, you know what? I'm in the mood for a snack. You know what? I don't really want onion rings. I'm going to go to McDonald's now. I'll see you later. Like go to another restaurant. Like how does this make any sense? Why are people going in and out of restaurants and not even eating? If you're <laughs> going to risk your life for food, at least eat something. Are you sure he didn't just go to the Harvey's and then find out that the door was locked or that no he walked inside we were standing in front of the place and there yeah. were other people inside because we drove by and we could see because they're doing takeout right they're not having yeah. seated orders so yeah. people are walking into the restaurant and buying stuff he walks in looks around walks out and leaves we saw it it was bizarre <laughs> he, just, he just went in <laughs> coughed on some people Licked the counter and then left. I don't know what happened inside. And we do not need to spend the entire episode discussing the actions of this one man. <laughs> but it sounds like we're both on board with the idea that, you know, people actually should be following the recommendations you're getting from your like local public health unit uh, about social distancing, that people yes. should be taking that seriously. Yes. Um, and I, I, I understand why people don't. I very rarely agree with our premier, Doug Ford, on anything. But on this note, he has been exemplary. Like, people should not be lining up to buy video games right now. I don't know if anyone else out there has heard this story. But in Toronto on Friday night, there was some new, like, PlayStation game that came out. And people lined up, like, two blocks to get this thing. Like, yeah. it's a game. It'll be around in a month from now, right? Like, order it in the mail. It'll be there in three days. Amazon Prime probably ship it to your house tomorrow. Yeah. This this ties into a, something that was happening in the United States as well, where they they have a store, a video game store franchise called uh, GameStop, and mm. the uh, the the sister company to that in Canada is called uh, Electronics Boutique or EB Games. Right. And uh, I guess these organizations said, no, we're not closing down because we consider ourselves an essential service. And so <laughs> you see that headline, and you're like, what? They're trying to justify that video games are an essential service. You know, like, who's running this company, 13-year-olds? <laughs> uh, but uh, when you read the article, their logic was, well, in addition to selling video games, we sell the occasional keyboard and maybe a microphone and the other <laughs> essentials people need to work from home in this time. <laughs> so they try to use that to justify, like, we do meet the criteria of the law of saying that we're going to stay open when, you know, our province or our state has told us we have to shut down. Uh, so, yeah, our premier, Doug Ford, um, uh, you have to give him a, some credit, whether you're a supporter of this guy or not, that uh, he was pretty upset when he realized that these places were staying open. And so he put some pressure on them to close down. So, I mean, number one, why don't we talk a little bit about the practical side of it? Like, what is yeah. the point of social distancing for the people out there who are sitting on the fence about this or about to go out <laughs> for a drink or something <laughs> or go to someone's house, I guess, to hang out? Like, yeah. why is this not cool right now? Well, I think 
uh, what people need to realize that it's not just that you're social distancing so that you don't get coronavirus and die yourself. Because I, I think a lot of people feel like, I'm young, I'm healthy, uh, the chances of me getting it are not that high, and if I do get it, then the chance of me getting like significantly sick are not that high. And that already is a little bit of perhaps a, a myth in the sense that we do know that young people can be severely affected by coronavirus. And maybe there's even some evidence suggesting now that perhaps even if you recover from it, then if you had severe lung like uh, symptoms during the time you were sick, that you may not fully recover from that for quite some time. Um, but, but like, let's just say that you're right. Let's say that you really think that you are invincible and you're not going to get significantly sick from coronavirus. Fair enough. But the whole point of the social distancing is to prevent the spread of it, not just to prevent you as an individual from catching it. So, you know, people really have to understand that they can go out and they can get it and maybe they're not that sick, but they're a carrier of it. Uh, carrier both in the sense that like, yeah, internally it's infecting you and then you're spreading it that way. But also a carrier in the sense that you touch stuff, you breathe on things, um, and you're carrying the, the virus around just on your hands and spreading it from one place to another. Right. Uh, so there aren't that many opportunities for, for the average person to, to say, like, I saved a life. But we know for a fact that if this virus just like spreads around at its usual rate that it would if we just co-mingled, uh, you know that somebody is going to die, right? Maybe not you, but maybe a grandparent or maybe somebody who has uh, some other underlying condition. So, but somebody will die. So, like, what other opportunity are you going to have to truly save a life by doing nothing but staying home? <laughs> you're at home playing Nintendo and you're like, right now, I'm saving lives. And not just like in the game, saving the princess, but like, I've saved lives by doing nothing. Nothing but staying in my house. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think that's that's a good way to look at it, that we're saving lives. But maybe a better way to think about it is that you could actually kill somebody. Like, let's look at it from the negative standpoint. Like, if you don't do this, no one will ever catch you because no one can ever trace, like, who caught what from what. But people are going to die from this thing. It's happened in all these other countries. Like, my whole problem with this scenario is that we've seen what happens in other countries when they don't react quickly. Like, this thing can get really out of control. A ton of people die. And some people seem to be okay with that blood on their hands, frankly. Well, maybe we should talk a little bit about, you know, when we say that things are bad, that they're bad in Italy and that things are going to get bad and, and that people are getting anxious and, and like uh, stressed about bad. What does bad mean? Right. And, and how, are we, how are we preventing that bad by, uh, by doing the social distancing? I mean, this is a complicated question. We'd have to go back and look at the data of what's happened in these other countries. I mean, most people in the world right now are aware that the coronavirus started in December of last year with a few cases. And by mid-January in China, the thing was out of control, right? Like they were getting yeah. like an exponential growth in cases and deaths daily until it started to peter out by like mid-February. And it's kind of settled down now, right? Yeah. And then the illness traveled in like little little bursts to like South Korea, Iran, and then to Italy, which of all the countries in, is the European country that got hit the hardest. And that's been over the last month or so where their cases suddenly went exponentially up to a degree that the Italian healthcare system could not manage. And suddenly a very high number of patients started dying in the hospital, similar to what was happening in China earlier, right? Yeah. Italy seems to be definitely the uh, the worst case scenario. Right. There's a, a my dad showed me an interesting tool online called Worldometer. So if you type in Worldometer coronavirus uh, or COVID nineteen into the Google, it, it pops up this uh, this this list of, of of all the different countries where coronavirus has been reported and the absolute number of people that have it, the number of people that have it per per million people in the population, and like the number of people that have died. And, uh, uh, you know, China's number two, in, or number one, sorry, in the absolute number of people that have had it. Uh, and Italy is right behind it. Well, it's, it's second place, uh, even though Italy is way, way smaller in terms of population than China is. Right. Um, and then when, so uh, not only did a lot of people in Italy get it, but they're, their death rate uh, is much higher than it is in in other places. So yeah, Italy is our is our worst case scenario, um, and I think 
when I hear some of the problems in Italy, it sounds like their biggest issue is that the number of people who are sick in the moment just way outstrips their hospital's capacity to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a lot of what we're trying to do with the with the social distancing. You know, some would look at it and say, look, you're never going to stop this thing from spreading. Um, no matter how much you do social distancing, like this virus is here and, and it's going to spread. And that may well be true. But, uh, you know, the problem that they had in Italy is that uh, all the people who were needing to go to the intensive care unit were all sick all at the same time and all needing the intensive care unit. Uh, and what we're trying to do is make it so that you know, maybe the same number of people will get sick in the long run, but if they if they get sick like slower in waves, then you can deal with the people who are bad enough to go on a respirator and intensive care unit, uh, and then have like time for hopefully them to recover before you have to deal with the next group. So you know, I try to explain to people as if if you had ten respirators that you need to put people on, um, but yeah, but you had a hundred people who were going to need the respirator. If they all need it on day one, well, you've only got 10. So, you know, one in 10 people are going to get what they need. Whereas if you have that same 100 people, but only, you know, 10 show up this week, 10 show up in another three weeks, 10 show up in another three weeks after that, well, then, you know, all of them have the best chance of survival that you can give them. So, I mean, I agree with that. That that makes sense. That's why we're all sitting at home now, right? Because our idea is that let's stop the rapid spread of this illness. And if it's going to spread, let it try to slow down or even hopefully buy us some time until a vaccine comes out a year and a half from now or buys us some time until we figure out a better strategy, right? But but at the same time, it looks like a lot of the numbers and all, these numbers can't be validated, right? Because like the, one of the big problems with coronavirus is that the data is full of gaping holes because none of these countries was screening adequately for the illness and we could go on about this for a few more hours about all the stories that have been coming out about how all the countries in the world pretty much all the countries except for like a few places like singapore and taiwan like have dropped the ball and and what happened was it seemed like china because they got the illness first most countries could have looked at china and said you know what something's going on over there we need to be really careful and try to like use that extra few weeks before that illness would travel overseas to our country. But nobody did it. So now it's starting to hit all these countries one after another. And everyone's like, oh, we had no idea. Oh, we had no idea. Oh, we had no idea. Like we are like as a, as a society, everyone seems to be slow, right? Like we seem to be reacting slowly to the illness and making reactionary changes rather than proactive changes. So, so, my concern about it is has to do with this is that a lot of the doctors that are on the front lines we're hearing from them you know in the back channels because they're not telling people straight up because they can't that this thing is about to turn in Italy like it's going to get really bad and and I don't see too much evidence saying otherwise at this point there's a chance like it hasn't happened yet right but it's starting to escalate the same way it did in the news in Italy the same way it did in China you know, before I start telling everybody that I have some uh, some back channel information that's reliable that only doctors get, that there's like you know that the end of the world is coming. Uh, what? So when we say this is going to be like Italy, what do we even mean? Like, what does that mean? We will be like Italy. Well, well, okay, yeah, that's a good question because because actually when I encountered my neighbor outside, he actually asked, "Is this the apocalypse? Like, is this the end of the world?" <laughs> And no, it's not the apocalypse. It's not the end of the world, right? Like we have some information on how severe the illness is. It's not going to wipe out 80% of human race, right? But it can kill like what? Seven to 8% of people in Italy, which is the number that they're thinking. If the this condition is not managed adequately. Yeah. And, you know, nobody really understands completely why Italy has such a high death rate. But of all the countries in Europe, the proportion of elderly people in that country is way higher than it is in any other country. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we know this is like the burden of this disease is highest on people who have underlying medical conditions or people who are elderly. Right. Um, So, you know, for parents who have to deal with their kids hearing scary stuff on the news and saying, you know, am I going to get coronavirus? Am I going to die? Uh, you can actually quite honestly say, well, look, all the evidence suggests that uh, as kids, like you'll be okay. I mean, that doesn't mean that we don't have to isolate you and it doesn't mean that we can't spread it around and we don't have to protect people. But, right. uh, you know, uh, 
you know, your kids shouldn't be awake all night scared that they're going to die the next day of coronavirus. You know, Agreed. We need to convey that to our kids. Right, which I think is an important parenting thing. It hasn't come up too much in our household because my kids are small and they're yeah. not too worried about it. Like they're just kind of on this super duper long spring break. Yeah. <laughs> but I imagine if they were a little bit older, that question would come up. Yeah, I uh, I think it's a good idea for people to ask their kids, you know, uh, oh, yeah, you probably heard a lot of talk about coronavirus or COVID or whatnot. Uh, are you worried about it? Um, and I actually asked my kids that. Uh, I think today I said to them, or maybe it was yesterday. I said, are you guys, uh, are you guys worried about coronavirus? And they said, why would we be worried about it? <laughs> and I'm like, excellent. I've done my job as a, as a dad. Yes. In, in case you haven't noticed on this show today, we're coming from two slightly different camps. One of us is the worrier and one of us is not. <laughs> <laughs> That's not to say that I don't think this is serious and that we should take action. Like this is a big deal. Uh, but, you know, that's the struggle of the human race is that we often have to deal with things that are a big deal. And uh, panicking has never really helped us. True. But but anxiety is na nature's way of protecting us. Right. For us to feel anxious and then act on our anxiety can protect us when we're being hunted. Right. That is that is the basic mechanism of the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, well, yeah, but anxiety is like fat cells. You know, nature gave them to us because they're important. We need them. But for the last 50 years, at least, we've had way too much of both of those things, <laughs> much more than we needed or that I, nature ever intended. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take the contrary to that argument. Like, I think one of the things that's happening in our society right now is that we don't have enough like vigilance. Right. Because most people that are here now are like baby boomer generation and on. None of us yeah. have ever faced like a major crisis in our lifetime, right? Like there's been some threatened crises, but mankind has always wiggled its way out of it, right? Like there was yeah. communism and like the Star Wars, like not the movies, like the actual like missile defense system that they were talking about nuclear annihilation for decades, right? In the yeah. 70s and 80s and 60s. But we, we got through all that. Nothing happened. So every time nothing happened, it's great. But everyone gets more and more overconfident that nothing can happen or nothing can ever happen. Right? Yeah. So we have this generation, like I'm, I'm in this generation, that our lives have been pretty blessed. Certainly, like a, a public event that caused closures of schools, not just in a specific town or right. a specific province, but that in the entire I think I guess the, on the entire planet, everywhere where there is school, essentially, right. um, is closing down school uh, uh, I, for some degree of time or another. Like my measuring stick is to say that, like I'm a big sports guy. I have uh, never seen any sports event get canceled. Like it's just never happened. Like since I've grown up, Wimbledon has happened every year, right? Like the Stanley Cup gets awarded every year. You can look at the record of which team won which year. Every year it's awarded. Yeah. Only during World War II were the Olympic Games interrupted briefly. Well, I mean, I just remember there was that year when the NHL, the National Hockey League, went on strike. Oh, that is true. Okay, I take that back. Other than labor stoppages. <laughs> yeah. But remember that year. When you think that year, that was such a big news. That's Everyone was talking about it. People were making jokes on it on, on late night talk shows. And people were thinking about it all the time. Oh, my gosh, hockey's cats what I do. Right now... NHL and NBA are both cats at the same time, and nobody's talking about that. You know, people are people are more stressed out about the fact that schools canceled for three more weeks, uh, and they're like, even if hockey was on, I couldn't enjoy it because I'm with my kids all the time. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Absolutely, Th this thing is affecting our lives in a way that's so bizarre that we're really in the really odd period of like humans' existence at this point. No one knows what's going to happen next. That's right. And I'm not suggesting by any means that people should be saying, you know, I don't want to succumb to anxiety, so I'm just going to pretend it's not a big deal or bury my head in the sand like that. That doesn't work. This is a big deal. But uh, but you got to just address it and deal with it and be prepared and, and, you know, like figure out how you're going to move forward and move through it. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I'm I am the worrier, but I still intend to move through it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Let's let's deal with a couple practical questions, because I think we've kind of talked around like, you know, my anxieties and your your more balanced approach to handling this situation. 
but we're on the same page. We agree that social distancing needs to happen. Neither yeah. of us knows what will happen like three weeks from now. Like we're all Absolutely. watching. Like this could go either way. Like any doctor will tell you that. Like who knows? It could, It maybe it'll work out great and we'll be back to normal life two months from now or, or it might not. Like this is a developing situation. But what are the things that parents at home need to know now that are questions that have been coming up this past week? I'll run through a couple of these questions and then you okay. give me a, your take on it and we can uh we can see what we think okay like first question came up for me is is it okay to visit grandma and grandpa they're not sick we're not sick we're all in isolation is it okay to go over to their house for dinner this is this one hits home because i my parents live just a few blocks from here and my in-laws live a few blocks from here also like we're routinely visiting each other that's our social network like is that cool or no no go i guess it depends on how much you love your grandparents (laughs) Like, you, do you want them around for a long time, or were you already kind of hoping that they would, that they would go? Let's just take it for granted that we all love our grandparents. Then, then don't visit them. Don't visit yeah. them. All right. Yeah, that's right. To FaceTime them. Don't leave these poor people like in in social isolation. Um, you know, like you socially distance from them, but that doesn't mean that you cut them off. So FaceTime right. them or Skype them. I, I agree. Like a few, like early last week, we decided we're going to stop all meetings with the grandparents. Like it's not worth it. Right. And that elderly population is the population we've mentioned already is the most vulnerable to this illness. If they are to yeah. get sick and, and we're the ones that bring it to their door. Like that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's the simple answer to this. If we really want to get this thing under control, then, you know, yeah, you're just going to have to avoid seeing your grandparents for is it okay to go to the park and play on the monkey bars and the swings and the actual equipment? Uh, the recommendations are definitely against that because those are surfaces that, you know, if somebody's has coronavirus in them, uh, and for a kid that might just be manifesting as some runny nose, uh, then yeah, they're potentially getting the, that virus on those surfaces where it can persist for quite some time. And then you know, other kids come put their hands on it and then, and then they're potentially spreading it. So that's a hard one because you see these empty parks and you think, well, surely my kid could go and play for a little while. But if everybody has that mentality, then uh, it's going to defeat the purpose of social isolation. So unfortunately, the advice is no, uh, don't go play at the park, right. at least not on the equipment. So how about this? This one has come up a lot. Is a one-on-one play date with another kid okay like can your can your daughter go and play with her best friend two blocks away at their house nobody's sick that we know of no no so no interaction with any of these people i mean if we're really trying to do this right um i mean if everybody just all these questions if everybody just took it that like yeah the answer to all these questions is no and everybody truly isolated didn't leave the house complete lockdown for two weeks then at least in theory this thing would be done we'd be over (laughs) I I feel like that is the case, but yet I feel like we need to go through these scenarios one at a time, one bloody (laughs) scenario at a time because people don't seem to understand. People definitely have this sort of idea of like, I don't have symptoms. Uh, This other person doesn't have symptoms. So it's fine for me to go and meet with this other person. Right. Um, But the problem is uh, that somebody could, could be like asymptomatic and, spreading it for starters Uh, and also when you go and see that person you know then that person sees somebody else and that other person sees somebody else uh, and then the whole thing falls apart i mean i suppose in theory three families could get together and decide okay right now we're all asymptomatic and we agree to just live in a dyad or a triad like where we do not go anywhere else and see anyone else that's it we no one even goes for groceries we just we're living in a compound Uh, And that could work as long as everybody agreed that even if somebody in their little group got sick, well, you would just stay in that group and you wouldn't leave. Uh, (laughs) But how practical this for people to live that way. I mean, I mean, the closest we could get, it would be what happened in China. Like people, the lockdown in China was much more severe than the one here. Right. Yeah. So people were pretty much ensconced in their homes. I think I've used that word like 15 times tonight now and well we'll re-edit it to say embedded and then and then people would only go out to get groceries and even then they'd be wearing a mask right so 
like the level of control is much tighter there than here. And they did get a really nasty situation under control relatively at this point. And we're yeah. kind of looking down the barrel of the same gun and trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. I have a couple more. Okay. My buddy calls me today and says, you know what? Like uh, we've been cooking all our meals at home, but we read in the newspaper that we should go out and support our Canadian businesses who are all hurting. So let's order some takeout. We're going to start doing more takeout for the sake okay. of national unity. Like, is that a good idea or not? Uh, I guess th the question is, is it safe to eat takeout food from a restaurant? Yes. Uh, I think so. I think it is. How uh, many meals of takeout has your family eaten this past week? Uh, we had pizza one day. All right. I mean, we've had maybe two grocery store runs so far. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the reality is as much as we don't want to spread or get coronavirus, you know, people are going to die a lot faster if they just simply don't eat. <laughs> right. Uh, so eating is essential to life. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's a medical dad exclusive <laughs> right there. You heard it here first. Got to eat to live. Um, so yeah, if it's coming from a, from a restaurant, I don't know if that's any more high risk than if it's coming from the grocery store. I mean, in this, I, I agree. I mean, even when you're buying groceries, those groceries have been in contact with other people at some point, right? Yeah. On the food distribution chain, right? Yeah. So my whole thing is that the less we go out, the better, right? So one trip to the grocery store could yield you 10 meals, 15 meals. One takeout right. meal is probably one meal, maybe two, right? So in that sense, you know, if we're trying to statistically minimize our interaction with the outside world as much as possible, I would recommend eating in. But what if the takeout guy is making multiple deliveries? Exactly. So one takeout guy, well, if one takeout guy drops off food on the doorstep of five or 10 houses in a day, then isn't that less spread of contamination than if all those families each individually sent a person out to co-mingle in the grocery store? No, but that's still, even if he dropped off, how many did you say? 10? He drops off 10 yeah. meals and let's just say for the sake of argument, there's leftovers. So, so those turn into 20 meals, right? Yeah. But those, those 10 families could make 10 each make one trip to the grocery store. Each trip to the grocery store would cover 10 meals, right? For that family. Like you're way Ten ahead. If, I, I guess if they really planned out their menu. Well, breakfast, properly. lunch, dinner, three days. Like go to a grocery store every three days or so. That's not unreasonable. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> I mean, you can't eat everything fresh produce at this point, but. <laughs> but I guess the, the delivery guy delivering to your door is so low, so much lower risk than even that one trip to the grocery store, right? You know, unless you're really interacting with that delivery guy. But, you know, if you pay, pay in advance by credit card and he just leaves on your doorstep, like. That seems pretty good to me. True. You're only directly interacting with one person briefly. I mean, this gets into the separate issue, which is you could actually order your groceries online now. You don't have to go to the store. So a lot of cities have like a grocery store where you can order the items and they'll bring them to your door two days from now, which yeah. also works, right? And it reduces your risk and gives you meals you can make at home. Yeah. Even if you just ordered on, some places you order online and then they prepare it for you. And then when you go there, they just put it in your car. Mm -hmm. That's also pretty good. Right. It's better than you walk around the grocery store anyway. Right. We have not done that in our house, but I think it's going to happen this week. Yeah. My wife tried to order groceries one day and the, the, the app wasn't working the way it normally does. <laughs> Maybe because of overwhelming demand. Right. So here's another yeah. one. Yeah. How about hired help around the house? Like another, another family member today asked me, like their nanny, right? Normally yeah. part-time nanny comes in three days a week or four days a week. Yeah. Is it time to let the nanny go? Yeah, but if you want to really do the right, well, if you're in if you're in the position to do this, then it would be much appreciated by your nanny if you could still pay her for the time that she's off, right? If, if at all possible, right? Agreed. But yeah, if you if you have if you're in the position to do that, that's my recommendation. I mean, in case people haven't picked up, there's a theme going through all of these questions. Our answer, <laughs> Stu's answer, has been very very consistent, and he's not the worrier out of the out of us. <laughs> Do not go right. anywhere. Do not see anyone. That's right. <laughs> right. Minimize contact with people. That's basically our message. Now, one topic that uh, I feel like we have to touch upon, toilet paper. <laughs> this whole thing with the toilet paper. What's your take on that? I actually didn't really understand this. Like, even like, you know, I understood that coronavirus gives you like a flu-like illness and a lot of people are going to get sick and 
yada yada yada. I don't really yeah. know, understand why everyone feels the need to stock up on with copious amounts of toilet paper <laughs> because this like this respiratory illness is gonna hit soon. <laughs> like I guess they mean they're worried that if all stores shut down, right, that you cannot buy anything in, in the world. That he who has the most toilet paper in supply has a cleaner butt than everyone else for longer. And that's somehow important. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it started with sort of rumors or stories that, you know, someone somewhere ran out of toilet paper, um, <laughs> which then made people say like, oh, OK, toilet paper is a hot item. It's in demand. So then they start buying toilet paper. Then the newspaper starts taking pictures or the, the media starts taking pictures of empty shelves with no toilet paper. So then that begets more people saying, oh, okay, I got to buy toilet paper. Someone goes to the store and their, their intention that day was to buy maybe one like bag of toilet paper or whatnot. But then when they, when they go and they see how much toilet paper there is at that store, they're thinking like, oh my gosh, I, I heard it's hard to find this stuff. And here I found a treasure trove. I can't just take one. I got to clean this place out. <laughs> uh, and then I don't know how many people are like purposely buying it for the purpose of hoarding it to resell it. I don't know if that's a thing, but my mom keeps asking me, does coronavirus cause diarrhea? Is that it? Does it cause diarrhea? <laughs> it does. Why is that what he toilet paper? It does, paper? so we know it does. So, it, it does that's probably kids, not why all these people are hoarding toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, I do get it that if you, if you sort of think of a luxury that you take for granted, that you would miss it when it's gone, you know, toilet paper would be one of those luxuries. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's not like they're selling out of tissues and paper towels, so it's not like you got nothing. So don't don't hoard toilet paper. I think we is our underlying message, right? Absolutely, don't hoard anything. Actually, that's a, a real message. Like in the first few days of this stay home, you go to the grocery store. There's no eggs. There's no milk. People are buying up everything, right? Yeah. I walked by a guy with a basket full of canned food, like all canned food, Wonder Bread, and like like sugar products like everything was like ho-hos and like i don't know what those other things are even called i don't eat these things that often but i looked at his basket i'm like he's really ready for the apocalypse like he could live off those food items for a good 18 months none of those foods is going to go bad but honestly i think the diabetes is going to get him before the coronavirus with what he was eating well i think it's prudent in general for people to always have some emergency supplies at home to get them through any type of crisis. You know, like there are some parts of the world that could have a hurricane tomorrow and, you know, then they'd be like, oh yeah, that's right. I also need to be prepared for that. Uh, but the purposely the idea of saying like, I don't actually need this toilet paper. This is way more toilet paper than I need for the, like for the foreseeable future. But just by virtue of the fact that I think other people are going to have it, I want to take it. Like, please don't do that. This reminds me of a scenario. I don't know if you remember this, but when we were in medical school, I had this one time I was think I was on like maybe pediatrics or urology or something. And I got this rip roaring case of gastroenteritis and I had yeah, no, I, I had no supplies. So then yeah. I went into the store and I bought like ginger ale crackers, like some jam. And I had this like stockpile, this one drawer in my apartment from then on was my emergency. If I get diarrhea, there's a bunch of food that I can fall back on. And I showed it to you and you're like, yeah. get rid of that. If your body knows that that stuff is in the house, it's going to purposely weaken itself to gain access to that food. So I th- um, in all these years, I thought you were the last guy on earth who was going to have an emergency stash of food in his house. Well, it was, wait, wasn't your emergency stash of food like like Twinkies and potato chips? Yeah, like potato that? chips was one of the items. Yeah. So yeah, I think we do have some cans of practical food somewhere in the house if we need it. But uh, if our emergency stash was chocolates and chips, then, uh, yeah, we'd be having a lot of emergencies. Well, you know what they say, a happy Dave is a healthy Dave. And that goes a long way sometimes. <laughs> That's, is that medical advice? Is that your professional opinion? <laughs> it's life advice. Sometimes you do things that bring you joy. <laughs> let's, let's touch on a couple little more points, and, then we'll, and I think we're going to have to go because we could go on about this forever. And... What do you recommend people use at home at this point? Like, is there any special products like masks or sanitizer that people should be carrying around with them or have in their house at this moment? In their house? I mean, I suppose the usual cleaning products, you should have those around. But, uh, you know, if you're truly self-quarantining, then the, really the biggest thing is to make sure that you have soap to wash your hands with. Okay. Uh, you know, and if you have Purell, that's great too, or, or some other hand sanitizer, that's great too. But, uh, you know, if you are uh, 
minimizing how 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 often you you go out of the house and interact with other people and are very vigilant about washing your hands and cleaning when you when you come back then uh, I don't really personally see the value in triple Lysol cleaning the house with bleach you know like five times a day but okay. I don't know maybe you have a better informed opinion on that no I agree with you I think that's reasonable how about the whole masks thing that's a that's a big one in in our community the Chinese community like yeah on your trips uh, to the grocery store are you wearing a mask or no no i'm not wearing a mask um and you know i am trying to keep uh, like a like up to date with the data so you know as of my last trip to the grocery store that was definitely not a recommendation that you need to wear masks just for your usual interactions in public mm-hmm. uh, f- and that was coming from the idea that the spread of this is through droplets not not aerosolized the way chickenpox is, where you catch chickenpox just by being in the same room as someone with chickenpox. Right. Whereas this, unless someone's coughing in your face, then you're not going to breathe it in so much as you're going to touch surfaces that people right. have had their droplets settle on and then pass to your face. So, so yeah, for just general walk around in public, I'm not wearing a mask. Certainly when I'm interacting with patients where I'm going to be close to them and they do cough in my face, not infrequently, in that context, I'm wearing a mask. Let, let's talk a little bit of, let's change gears a little bit because we were supposed to change gears a long time ago. But let's talk about a little bit about what life is like at home with the kids. We've been yeah. at home for about a week now. And we are either loving it or hating it, probably at this point. And what's what's going on in your household? Well, so we're just finishing what would be March break at our house. So we would already have been home for this past week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we it's definitely you could definitely tell the difference being under the isolation um, and not being able to have the kids play with their friends. Uh, talking about how this has impacted humans in a way that's never happened before. My my oldest daughter, who just turned 10, she would tell you that like this has already caused the worst disaster in recorded human history, <laughs> and probably in even prehistory, that coronavirus canceled her birthday party. Oh, my. And it was going to be a sleepover. And you know how I feel about sleepovers. But we were going to let her have a sleepover, and now <laughs> that that's canceled. So that was uh, that was pretty devastating for her. Right. But we tried to make the best of it. Um, she was supposed to uh, she was supposed to have like we, we were supposed to be in North Bay, uh, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, so we were we were like this was just before all the like complete no travel restrictions had really come into effect. Uh, so we were in North Bay uh, with my brother. Uh, but in North Bay now we couldn't go and, uh, you know, do any of the things that we were hoping we were going to do, go see a movie or bowling or or anything like that. And so my daughter knew this and she was saying that like one of the things she would have wanted to have done is maybe go to an escape room. So then my brother and I had the idea, well, why don't we just make an escape room in his basement? Um, And so, yeah, we spent a couple hours working on it that morning. Uh, He had a few padlocks and a few combination locks. And so we thought of a bunch of different clues and stuff like that. We made an escape room and she loved it. She loved it so much. Um, and, uh, yeah, actually my wife even was, uh, like impressed by it. So anyway, that's one medical dad tip. You know, you're looking for things to do with your kids at home. You've probably already thought of coloring, uh, Netflix, Disney plus, uh, playing outside, doing some crafts. Well, make your kids an escape room. <laughs> now I feel like a useless dad. All I did was pay eight ninety nine for Disney plus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, that that still make would make you a, a hero in the eyes of my kids. <laughs> if we didn't, if you didn't have Disney Plus and you and you got it now, that's commendable. Yes, yes. So, the, definitely, this thing is like finding activities to do with your children. Like we're gonna be home for a few more weeks, maybe a month or two, by the looks of it. So yeah. we're gonna need more ideas on what to do. Like for us too, it's March break, so kind of had the attitude that last week was gonna be a holiday week anyway. But yeah. we couldn't resist like the Chinese Canadian aspect of it, and the homeschool started up right away to get a jump on all the other homeschools. <laughs> That's hilarious. My wife's a teacher too, right? So uh, she already has homeschool planned starting Monday. Um, <laughs> like so, starting tomorrow because this is March break, so the kids are still on break. They did a bit of sort of pre-homeschool, and they <laughs> helped to make the homeschool schedule. But now tomorrow is the first day back at uh, at Harmon School. Oh, tomorrow is going to be rough because as of tomorrow, we're back to work. Like on March break, my wife and I both took the week off to spend time with the kids anyway. But yeah. next week is the week that like 
my wife, so my wife and I, we're both physicians. We're going to be working from home doing phone calls all day because that's this the new, be rough. yeah, this is going to be, so one of us will be with the children the entire day. The other one will be in their room ensconced <laughs> once again, <laughs> doing telephone calls with patients. And I think at some point during the week, we might drop into the office. Although the way yeah. things are set up now with the telephone, we probably don't have to do that. There's, there's, we could probably spend another episode talking about things we've done to try to keep the office running in the face yeah. of all this. But basically at this point, we're working virtually instead of yeah. like, instead of live. And that's going to be the challenge of this coming week. Yeah, the coming, I also had a fair bit of time off for March break. Um, but now, as of today, I, I work today. I work from six in the morning till two this afternoon today. And I've got a lot of like shifts stacked up now coming forward because usually when you take time off for March break and the way my job works is mm -hmm. when you take that time off then your shifts get pushed and squished together right so uh yeah it's uh we've actually seen the volume in the emergency department decrease as as people have been isolating which means fewer kids just getting sick and getting hurt outside mm -hmm. so we've seen a bit of a, a drop in the volume in the emergency department don't know how long that's going to last but uh i think just the most stressful part of it all at home is that you know there's some concern for my family right like that i'm going to the place where if someone is sick with coronavirus that's where they may show up mm -hmm. uh so knowing there's that chance of bringing that home is a little bit of a you know it's a little bit of a thing at the back of the mind right uh, so yeah that's will be i'll let you know how that goes over the coming weeks <laughs> absolutely if i mean what are the take-home messages that we could tell our listeners if they've made it this far in this episode like what is it that we really want them to know going forward well, you know, I, I kind of wish we did spend more time talking about like, okay, so you're at home, uh, but it's not the end of the world. Here's some of the things you can do at home to, to survive. Um, but yeah, just in terms of giving them a message, probably the two takeaways from this episode are one, like reiterating that, you know, the social isolation is there for a reason. And if we, if we stick to it, uh, that will make a difference that will it will slow the spread of the coronavirus, which will mean lives saved. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but the other thing is, you know, while you're at home, try to make the best of the situation. Uh, uh, try to stay sane. Take some time each day to try to focus on your own wellness. Um, yeah, that's that's probably the message I want to leave people with. And the fact that even us as physicians, we have different viewpoints on this thing. And that's probably why you're not hearing a very, un like a very like clear, like point of view about what's going to happen. Nobody really knows, right? Like there's different levels of worry. There's different levels of concern that are expressed by your doctor, different healthcare professionals, non-healthcare professionals, you know, journalists, like everyone has an opinion. It's affecting all of our lives, but we're all in this together. And let's just try to make the best of it. We'll get through it one way or the other. That's right. Hashtag alone together. I saw that on TV today. <laughs> How about hashtag medical dads? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do have a Twitter account, right? Yeah, somewhere. All right. So we will try to get this episode up for people soon. And we will try to be back in a few days or in a week to keep people up to date on what's going on at this point. And who knows, maybe we'll even slip in one of the other episodes in between. Absolutely. All right. See you all in a little bit. Stay well. All right. Adios.